Well, welcome to Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. And I am Jim Grant, and with me as always is uh, the great Evan Lorenz, Deputy Editor of Grant's. And uh, I think we have uh, Phil Grant on the line as well, who is the, uh, is the uh, author and um, I don't know, copy editor, fact checker, fact finder of Almost Daily Grant's, the indispensable daily briefing on uh, what has happened and uh, sometimes what's going to happen. That comes uh, comes extra. And um, with us today as well is uh, is a guest. I guess it's it's conventional and indeed necessary to say special guest. You can't just have a guest on a podcast. But Elliot Brown is our special guest, and he is the co-author of Cult of We. We work is it? You know, I'm going to confess, Elliot. Is it Newman, Neumann, or something I haven't said yet? Uh, so it's interesting. In it, 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 he's Israeli, and in Israel uh, they call him Adam Neumann, but in the U.S. he had always been called Newman. So I was calling a bunch of uh, you know people he knew from from early in life, and was like, "Why are you talking about Adam Neumann? His name is Adam Neumann." No, it's, it's, it's like is it like De Blasio <laughs> changing his name over and over again? <laughs> anyway, um, so I, anyway, yeah. we 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 are uh, we. That is now a loaded word. The, let's see, one, two, three, the four of us. Um, are here to talk about uh, WeWork and its place in the financial firmament and whatever happened here. Um, you know, um, Elliot, I imagine that you are enjoying the most glorious phase of authorship, which is having written. Tell me about the uh, the aftermath. Tell, what are you, are you on one of these famous book tours, or is it all done? Um, uh, is it all done virtually, or were you out? Uh, I know you're talking to other people besides, I think, besides Grant's interest rate observer. Although why that would be, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> what are you and Maureen up to? Um, it, it is. Uh, if this is the most glorious part, I haven't found it yet because mostly it's me emailing people asking to come on their podcast. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I got through your spam filter. Um, but yes, we're 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 the book tour, the physical book tour seems to have been killed by COVID, at least for yeah. us. Uh, yeah. You know, we're sort of a little uh, too early or late, depending when you want to count it. Yeah. So, yeah. lots of podcasts, and yes, very happy to be done writing, editing, and preparing to promote a book. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, um, Evan Lorenz, the great deputy editor of Grants, uh, was kind of early on this WeWork stuff. We wrote about it a little bit, and, and I remember that uh, I'm, I'm not sure who had the more rollicking laugh when the first uh, sounding of the of the new uh, valuation metric, community-adjusted EBITDA, <laughs> came across the screen, whether it was Phil or whether it was Evan. But Evan, to you goes the first set of questions to Elliot Brown, the co-author of the new imminently best-selling We, the cult of We. Um, go and ask him some questions about this this monstrosity, Evan. Let's let's not let this sit here. Um, let's get to the bottom of it. Yeah, one of the questions that I had as I read through you, your very excellent book is, there were so many intelligent people and firms with incredible track records who not only invested but also invested more and doubled down with Adam Newman or Neumann or however you pronounce his name. I mean, people, uh, firms like Goldman Sachs, Benjamin Parters, T. Rao Price, um, people like Bill Gurley who are just historically famous in, uh, in venture capital. And they've been able to see through so many problems in the past, but they didn't seem to see the problems in WeWork until it was too late. Why did so many people buy into Adam Newman and what was it that clouded their vision? Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the central question of this whole saga. Like, we like to say that um, Theranos was 
uh, about a you know founder convincing unsophisticated investors. You know, I, I w- Henry Kissinger is many things, but I don't think he's a sophisticated investor. Uh, that uh, you know, using fake facts to c- convince these people. WeWork was a very different situation where you had um, someone using you know real numbers uh, and not lying, or, or certainly not much. Um, and convincing very sophisticated investors to, you know, essentially look at a office space subleasing company and view it as a disruptive tech company. Yeah, like the, the short answer is, I, I think it's just sort of collective delusion um, and, you know, groupthink, uh, herd mentality, uh, confirmation bias. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of psychology at play, but like the basic element was there was too much money in Silicon Valley and not enough good ideas. And so that suddenly made people sort of reach a little more in their minds and convince themselves uh, or allow themselves to be convinced. And then they, they paired that with this incredibly charismatic salesman. Um, and Adam, you know, really is, at least in person, uh, a super charismatic, you know, guy who just has that thing that certainly I lack uh, to have anyone interested in what you're saying. Uh, but, but he just, when you, he's in the room with you, you just kind of get taken in this other world and, and you see his, his future vision as almost though it's real today. But the red flags that they overlooked that you document, the fact that he would drink and smoke marijuana during meetings, that he'd throw glasses through his office window, that he would buy a, a company jet as a startup, that he would cash out every time they raised equity. There were just so many things along the way that I, I just kept drawing exclamation points near the end of the page. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is the thing. So I, I was covering real estate at first and then came upon them in like 2013. And was like really amazed back then. I was like, what is this tiny company that's worth one and a half billion dollars with just like a few leases? Uh, and so it made no sense to me then. And then I just watched as like, I figured the more articles we'd write sort of pointing out like, hey, guys, this is this is a real estate company. They don't make money in any other way. Uh, why is it being valued like a software company? I figured like people would would see that. And, and then when you'd point out these conflicts of interest, people would see that. Uh, but then each time we sort of write a story, their, their valuation would go up and they'd raise more money. Are you trying to tell us that objective journalism is no match for a bubble? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was as, as uh, you know, given how long ago it was that I started writing about this, I guess I was young and naive in my career. Now I'm crippled and, and, and that much more cynical. So um, it, obviously nothing matters in life, but um, <laughs> at the time I thought it might. <laughs> yeah, like an early story I did was, was just on how it's like, oh, the exact same thing happened with Regis uh, in 2000, which told investors it was part of the dot-com economy. And it got some huge valuation and then, you know, went effectively insolvent before reconstituting um, after the dot-com bust, or at least its U.S. arm went bankrupt. Um, and I figured, like, oh, it's the same business. I'll just point that out and everyone will see it. And, you know, like a few people saw it and that was it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have not seen the, uh, the final copy with the, with the index, but I did not see a proper attribution. You, you mentioned that Rebecca Newman is the uh, kind of belated or a post facto uh, co-founder, that she, that she became a co-founder with uh, a little bit of uh, editing and uh, touching up. And, uh, <laughs> Revisionist history. Yeah. I'm not sure that the uh, that one of the co-founders of this ought not to be the Federal Reserve System. I mean, free money uh, <laughs> is, is, the, is the necessary predicate, is it not? Totally. So, yeah, I mean, at the, at the macro level, it's like this was a story and sort of still is a story of uh, there being too much money and not enough good ideas. And so if you look sort of what happened in Silicon Valley and in the time WeWork was really getting its venture money and start, that's when money was starting to flood into Silicon Valley, just sort of hunting for yield. Uh, I think people saw the returns that happened on Facebook and it was like, well, there's got to be others. 
Um, and so then uh, money just like poured in. And then when it looked like there were going to be these other app-based companies like Uber that were was going to, you know, reshape the, the way we think and breathe and, and walk. Um, and he got these just enormous. Don't walk. Then, like, Don't walk. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, Elliot, yeah, exactly. speaking of which, uh, I think that's a good, a, a good uh, seg to ask you about uh, another trend that uh, colors this the situation, and that's um, the, the shift towards founder control out in, in Silicon Valley. Do you want to sort of touch on that and, and, uh, and, and sort of the factors, that, that the, the role that that's played in, in, this, in this mess? Yeah, totally. So in, in the old days um, of, of running a, a public company or a large company that's planning to be public, you would have one vote uh, for every share that you have, um, even if you're the founder. And, uh, you know, if, if in, in the old days, venture capitalists were not just after founders, they, they were after businesses. But, you know, somewhere around this period when money was rushing in, it became much more of a almost meme in Silicon Valley circles that founders are these mythical beings. Um, and the sort of, you, you know, the, the, it's a, a sample size of a few, but some very good examples of like Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, they, they're just sort of able to drive toward a vision um, in a way that that uh, is kind of particularly impressive and a board of directors might not push these companies toward. And so uh, so suddenly founders started um, getting full power, uh, full control of their companies uh, because venture capitalists would give it to them when, when they as a way of like getting into a round. And so you had this result where essentially or exactly uh, the, the people are giving these these companies like WeWork money and full control, even though the founder could own 20%, 10%, 5%. Uh, and so it's really just like you get the keys to the car. Um, the teenager gets the keys to the car and like a full tank of gas, I think is what we say in the book. Yeah. I mean, one thing that surprised me, not so much was Adam Newman's behavior, which by reading yours and Maureen's um, you know, reporting at the Wall Street Journal, I kind of had a glimpse of. But the behavior of uh, SoftBank's Masa son, the fact that he would actually pull Adam Newman aside and say, hey, some of your brothers in the Vision Fund are growing faster than you. You need to be crazier, even crazier. And the fact that he would egg them on all along the way just to spend money faster and less responsibly, that, that was also a big surprise to me. Yeah, like Adam, by his own telling, it was crazy already, right? Like this is a guy who, who just was talking about billions uh, when the company had one location, um, and, you know, just is kind of gets no sleep at night and uh, is just you meet him and you're like, have you had 15 coffees already this morning? It's, it's uh, like, like, where does this energy come from? Um, and so then he meets Masa son and yeah, I mean, like Masa tells him on kind of multiple occasions, you need to be crazier. And then Adam was so excited by this anecdote, he would just call up like all his investors and, and immediately told them or you know, a bunch of them uh, that uh, he's like, I thought I was crazy, but Masa said I need to be crazier. And the staff around him would just sort of like put their, you know, palms into their faces because they'd be like, Jesus, uh, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> so, so, so that that's where like we work with already doing things like Adam was buying a wave pool company and he, he was flying private all the time. But after Masa came in, told him to do that. Suddenly he started to see we work invest in, you know, start its own elementary school. It, like he started talking about uh, Middle East peace and curing world hunger. Uh, and, you know, it just, just really lost touch with re reality as, as sort of a result. Was that before or after he banned meat at the office? <laughs> that, that was actually concurrent. So, so yes, the, the meat ban was around the time. And, 
you know, that that was yet another of the many hypocrisies, given that like a couple of days later, he was seen eating a lamb shank and it like it kind of blew up in the internal slack there that he had just been the whole company's the company. So uh, this, this business with Matheson began in a limousine ride uh, to Midtown to meet Donald Trump, which ride was wild in traffic. Is that did that? No, that couldn't have happened. Uh, so we, that was one of the things we learned. Like we knew that it, it, they had 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 this really quick meeting. Like one one of the things with this whole story is like everything is as dumb as it seemed. Uh, it was like Massa raised forty, as he puts it, forty five billion dollars in forty five minutes by meeting with uh, Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia, sort of the exact right time in history. And so then. Like a month or two later, he's like, well, I have all this money burning a hole in my pocket. I need to spend it on somebody big. And then Adam's like, he meets him for 12 minutes. And then they get in a car because Massa was going to meet the president-elect. And uh, Massa commits $4 billion to him. And it's like, how do you think that's going to end, right? <laughs> like, this is one of the second biggest check ever written to a U.S. startup. And it was done in, in all of 12 minutes. Well, your book has, been, has won uh, some fine reviews. Uh, um, Catherine Rossman, New York Times. I guzzled Brown and Farrell's The Cult of We. Should I quote that again, Ellie? Is that okay? yeah, you <laughs> should read the second half of it. <laughs> um, well, congr- congratulations on that. And on what of all these astounding things um, and of all the preceding astounding reporting, were you left to be surprised by anything at the end of it? I guess um, a couple things. Uh, I was sort of continually surprised by by Adam's quest for self enrichment um, because even at even you know two or three months ago, maybe a little more because losing track of time here, but um, he re renegotiated his severance package. I guess it was just one renegotiation. So he renegotiated his severance package from when he was paid by SoftBank to leave the company that he had just sort of presided over the, the evaporation of $40 billion, you know, value in. And he renegotiated it and then to a way that he managed to get another like $250 million or so uh, of stock uh, award. Um, and it, that was at the expense of the other shareholders, right? Like, I mean, he's, it was essentially diluting everyone else. Um, dilute, and not, he also did dilute. Both, um, both. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, like, I, I just didn't, and he was sort of holding up the negotiation for this company to, to raise more money and go public through a SPAC. And so he, effectively, he was threatening to to kind of, you know, hurt WeWork so he could get more money. And and maybe the greatest irony with this is those stock options, or effectively stock options that he was doing that with, their original intent was tied to incentivizing him to grow the valuation of WeWork above $50 billion. Uh, and he has hurdles he had to hit. And now he gets them, that it's worth $8 billion and he gets them anyway. <laughs> Two, two things. One, a comment on that. I always thought that Adam Newman missed his true calling, which was an executive compensation consultant. Nobody has be- better <laughs> negotiated than he. The other thing is I wanted to ask you, has anybody learned any lessons? You pointed out that uh, WeWork is actually in the process to merge with us back to come public. Um, since its IPO collapse in 2020, we've seen stocks that are long on stories but short on profits lead to even higher valuations. I know in your book you point out uh, Tesla and Nikola, and we can actually point out dozens of other examples. And SoftBank seems like it's back to writing big checks with big valuations. Last week, Masasun wrote an $800 million check to a financial company called Revolut at a $33 billion valuation. Last year, its valuation was six times lower. Uh, it, it seems like just about everybody's doing the same thing. Like after previous blow-ups like Valiant, at least – People said, hey, maybe debt fueled pharmaceutical roll-ups are a bad idea, but here everyone seems to be doubling down. Um, I, I think that's really well put. And the, the short answer is we've learned nothing. Um, 
I think there was a brief period of kind of surprising amount of introspection in venture capital where suddenly everyone was like, wow, maybe we should have path to profitability. And, you know, at the time I was sort of like, yeah, it was like, why? Why would you have that for a business? Why would you need even a path to profitability? What's the point of that? If I can interrupt you for one second, Elliot, the New York Times in an article interviewing uh, venture capital people in the fourth quarter of 2019, they said venture capital um, uh, partners were for the first time in a decade calculating what gross profit is, and some of them didn't know how to calculate it. <laughs> I think it was that same article that, that featured the CEO of Bird Scooter talking about how they were going to turn to profitability. And they're going public through a SPAC, and they hemorrhage money. Um, and uh, so um, this is all a long way of saying, yeah, like I, it, it, there was brief introspection, but no, like things are, are kind of crazy again. Now, the one lesson was learned, like I, I haven't seen any co-working companies that are valued at 20 times revenue or 40 times revenue. Like I think that era is over for at least a little bit. But um, there's certainly a lot of things that, yeah, like like you said, electric vehicles is startups is just there's a company that's worth twice Nissan and hasn't built a single car, um, Lucid Motors, so or hasn't sold a single car. Um, so uh, it's, it's a weird time. You know, may I, I? I wonder whether we're not overthinking this business about what the market learns and what it doesn't learn. Um, is it possible that in the absence of interest rates? Financial amnesia settles over the entire world. I mean, you, you're smarter than me. Uh, like that, that sounds right. Um, now, I I do think there like it, it just sort of depends how much you pattern match, but like it just and and what lesson you take. So at first, like there are I feel like startups that really just burn money um, uh, and need billions of dollars to grow are not nearly as in vogue as they were in 2019. Um, but so that just means startups with no revenue can be sort of, um, you know, inflated that much more. And um, I don't know, like we didn't see subprime loans jump back after, you know, 2008 too quickly. So, but I'm sure they will at some point. It's just like these sort of whack-a-mole, I guess. Well, 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 we we do see them come back, but just under different names. Like right now, it's Buy Now, Pay Later, BNPL. And there's all these companies that are apparently tech companies, but they're really just subprime lenders who are, um, you know, running what essentially is a bank, but they're valued. Also, also the Canadians, Canadians are doing it now. And I, I don't have to tell you guys what happens when Canada picks up our bad habits. It's not a good sign. The most phlegmatic people in the world are lending Against collateral, supposed overvalued collateral for, for 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 no interest rates are crazy. By now, pay later has a pretty good marketing ring to it. I, I do like that. Did so you what, get to speak what, to Adam Newman? Oh, sorry. Uh, Evan, please proceed. Did you get? To did you get to speak to? Yeah. Uh, in the course of your uh, book, did you actually get to speak to Adam Newman? Um, not not for the book. So I, I, we, I mean, we tried. Uh, it wasn't for lack of trying, but. Um, you know, he didn't want to participate. Uh, so we, I had, you know, I'd, I'd met him a number of times early in the WeWork reporting process. So back in 2013 and, you know, in 20, then a few times through late 2016. And then he kind of, I think, realized that my stories were like, he, you know, he sort of couldn't bring me over to the, to his side to, to write about them as a consciousness elevating company um, and uh, was just writing about it as a real estate company. And so then he kind of stopped talking to me. So, um, I, you know, I met him. I, I, I know the charisma um, and, and remember it pretty vividly. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, he did not want to chat with us for the book. Um, Elliot, one of the, uh, the great moments in 2019 was the um, – Revelations of WeWork that came about through the uh, circulation of this prospectus. People had uh, readers of the Wall Street Journal knew a lot of 
the stories that verged, verged on the uh, just uh, incredible concerning the excesses and the uh, craziness of WeWork. But along came with that prospectus, along came, you know, uh, community adjusted EBITDA as the valuation metric. And then also the revelation that um, uh, that uh, Newman and I guess his, his actual co-founder, founding partner, had registered a trademark on commercial use of the word we. And uh, for this, they charged the company uh, just about $6 million. And I'm thinking... As I saw this, I see $6 million for two letters. How would you apportion that? Uh, <laughs> probably the capital W would get four, and the, uh, and the small E would get like one nine. But was, was, it, was that revelation, uh, the, uh, the, the sheer uh, tastelessness of charging this company, soon to be a public company, a uh, better part of $6 million for the commercial use of a word that we have all heard before. It wasn't a very special word. It, can you uh, apportion... Uh, the world's incredulousness among the various revelations in the prospectus and say which of them was the most deflating to the project of bringing WeWork public? Um, so I, I do think, um, probably longer answer than you want here, but but I do think that one was really, yeah, the the most salient and, and sort of viral of the, the revelations in there. And uh, as we learned in the book, it, and sort of I thought at the time, like it, it was essentially the smallest conflict of interest that he had, right? Like the guy was literally taking, you know, leasing four properties, millions of dollars a year uh, to, to, that he owned to the company. Um, and he had restructured the entire corp, the corporate structure of the company, like had lawyers spend God knows how many hours changing the structure of the company so he could get better tax treatment on his stock comp. Um, and, uh, you know, he'd taken out hundreds of millions of dollars in, in uh, you know, stock sales, and then he, he borrowed against the stock. It, it was just like one dumpster fire after another in, in terms of corporate governance. And, uh, but yeah, so, so the word we was really went viral. Now, we learned this is actually like one of the only kind of crazy conflicts that he didn't even seem to know about. But, but what had happened was he had created a corporate culture and his own private attorney negotiator culture of pushing for self-enrichment and to the point where no one at WeWork really thought this was that remarkable. They like gave him a list of, of you know, many pages of, of things that were going to be bad in the S1 that the press could pick up on. This was in there, but it was like not bullet point number one. Um, and so someone who, you know, there, there was a meeting where they were kind of going through that list and Miguel, the, the co-founder, didn't even know about it. And he was like, oh, wow. I guess I'll uh, buy a car. So. <laughs> you know, I had the so, same uh, reaction yeah. with respect to uh, his uh, his uh, uh, getting uh, caught out uh, carrying marijuana in a cereal box in an international flight. That this was uh, <laughs> could be a felony, and this that that that, that struck me as rather than small potatoes in the yeah. So as a person who wrote that story, that 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 was the lead of our story. That that uh, the story essentially was the the straw that or one of the two straws that broke the camel's back and, and made it so it didn't IPO. But so that was the lead of the story. But the whole story was packed with like a zillion anecdotes and sort of telling the world that like, you know, this guy is, is much more erratic than you think he is. He thinks he's going to live forever. He talks about being the world's first trillionaire and being president of the world. And like, this is a guy in charge of a company that loses 100% of revenue. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, it seemed, maybe people didn't get past the paywall, but, but all anyone talked about was, uh, marijuana, um, on a private jet, um, which w was kind of crazy. Like the Gulfstream had to, was so kind of horrified by this, that they recalled the private jet from Israel where he had flown to. And then 
uh, he, of course, found a different private jet to take him home. But <laughs> you know, uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, the features of, of uh, capitalism that uh, uh, protects it against um, the collective uh, envy of people who are not taking private jets is the is the underlying narrative, and maybe more than a narrative, the underlying uh, tendency of people to get their just desserts. That people who contribute a great deal of society get uh, immensely wealthy, but after all, uh, society benefits uh, along with the, uh, the founder, the entrepreneur. But this, this would seem to, uh, to fly in the face of that particular set of moral norms. And is this not worrisome for uh, you know, the, the institution of markets and uh, their place in our politics when a guy like – how much is he worth now? Billion still, right? And, and yeah, somewhere, with, somewhere around one and a half or two billion is, is would be sort of my rough estimate. You, uh, Depends how much money he spent on surfing. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder, um, did, is, did, ought, he, ought he to have a better part of two billion dollars now? Can we play God just for about 30 seconds? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of kind of crazy things about this, which is why we decided to, you know, ruin our lives for the past couple of years writing a book on it. But it just at the end of the day that, that a guy who was like, you know, a pretty mediocre baby clothes salesman, but uh, um, pretty good at convincing people to give him money, uh, was able to make a sort of mirage of, of, of the business, become the country's most valuable startup, and then have it all like immolate, that he's able to leave with yeah. with two billion or so dollars. Uh, and, you know, WeWork has had a collective losses of $11 billion, uh, you know, and lost at one point $40 billion of valuation. SoftBank lost billions. Um, other investors have lost a lot of money. Uh, and, and, and he leaves with, with, you know, just unfathomable wealth. Uh, like, that's not a great lesson for society. And obviously, there's a lot of irony that he literally named the company We and said, would constantly tell everybody it's about, you need to put we over me. Uh, but, you know, this is very much a story about me for, for Adam. Yeah, there's no we, in, no we in team, that's for sure. <laughs> An alternative name could have been works for me. <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, a good book title. <laughs> yeah, all right, so... Uh, what do you think, Evan? I, I, I can barely, I can barely stop guzzling this. So I'm, I'm with uh, Catherine Rosman on this one. Like guzzle Brown and Farrell's The Cult of We, and um, I still think that uh, that Adam, that uh, uh, Adam Newman ought to write a thank you note to uh, Ben S. Bernanke, Ph.D., to Janet Yellen, <laughs> and to Jay Powell. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, so. Um, uh, Elliot, thank you for being with us today. Please uh, thank Maureen. Now, how do you, uh, you and Maureen apportion the work in this book? I suppose you did seven-eighths of it, and she did uh, like an eight. <laughs> it, it, it was a 100% mind meld with endless phone calls. <laughs> um, so it was actually really collaborative and really fun. And um, Yeah, yeah we, we would sometimes watch each other type on a shared Google Doc when the person had an interview. Uh, with, with, that was important. So, um, yeah, it was... All right, 50-50, uh, straight down yeah. the middle. Okay. <laughs> Well, congratulations to the two of you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us. Uh, until next time on Current Yield Grants, Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 